Hello and welcome to Postgres FM, a weekly show about all things PostgreSQL. I am Michael, founder of PG Mustard, and this is my co-host Nikolai, founder of Postgres AI. Hey Nikolai, what are we talking about today? Hi Michael, let's talk about one more controversial topic. Uh, can we run analytical queries in Postgres and what to expect from it? Yeah, right. So like real-time analytics workloads, maybe in combination with transactional workloads. Sometimes people say hybrid, but it, I think it's a fascinating topic. And luckily, another listener request. So thank you. And sorry, it's taken us a while to get to this one, but really appreciate it. Hybrid is just a term OLTP guys invented to to pull everything to their side. I mean, it's still OLTP, but let's run aggregate queries in a regular OLTP database and try to achieve better performance, right? Let's try to get rid of uh, analytical databases like, like Vertica or Snowflake and so on. This is HTAP. Because well, it's not, it, it's, it's not, vice versa, it's, it works less often, right? Like analytical for OLTP, it, it usually doesn't work because uh, latencies they, they off are awful. Well, I was well. We're diving straight into the deep part of right. the conversation, but I have seen some like I have seen some go after trying to do both, like single store and like a few. I was going to bring this up later on, but I do see some analytical providers like ClickHouse starting to add features that allow them to do some of the like or to to mitigate some of the um, trade offs. Do, do, do they have already updates and deletes? I haven't checked, but do, I think do, I, do, do they work okay? Uh, do they have already good isolation for for sessions? I, I mean, isolation control. But this is like isolation and so on. Like analytical data systems uh, were not designed to be ACID compatible. Uh, they don't need it. They need to sacrifice some aspects for for the sake of processing huge data volumes, right? So I doubt. Like, for example, Vertica, if it would be so easy, like, you, I cannot imagine someone runs Vertica to handle some, like, I don't know, like social media or e-commerce kinds of workloads. I mean, user-facing workloads. When customers expect all pages to work below 100 milliseconds, right? Better one millisecond. On average, it should be below one millisecond uh, of, on server side. And I cannot expect like uh, that someone can run Vertica for that or Snowflake. It's like strange. So that's why yeah, I, I say yeah. HTAP, it's, it's OLTP with attempt to improve performance of analytical queries. You, you, yeah. you don't agree, obviously, right? Well... It's I think it's I think this is a really interesting time and maybe that's true at the moment, but I think there's an interesting almost race between OLTP systems adding adding the ability to do more analytical work and the more analytical side of things trying to do more transactional processing. And there's at the moment most people either have two separate systems. So like extracting the data from the transactional side and putting it into the analytical side or they try and get by as long as possible with the transactional side and optimizing for some, maybe a smaller amount of analytical workload. But I wanted to start by thinking like what, if you think of real-time analytics, like what's your, what do you think that includes? Or what's that the first thing that that makes you think? My bachelor thesis uh, in the university was about ETL. 
and how to how to make clean clean up data to get to get rid of dirt to have a unified schema for all data from various sources and then my first job was in a company called program bank we programmed uh, software systems for for banks using delphi and oracle it was an interesting time it was more than 20 years ago already and i learned that banks obviously they have process of data load during nights and a lot of processes during weekends and then I, later when i started to fly a lot Europe to, to US and back and forth. And uh, I've noticed that since I have bank accounts on both continents, I noticed that even 20 years later, some banks still have nightly operations. So you cannot access your bank account during your day time in Europe when it's night in the US and so on. So when I hear real-time analytics, I imagine that this should go away, this approach. And systems should be accessible always. And even if you need to provide some reports, like monthly reports or something, it should be done asynchronously at least, or better, like in, in the same system. Like, okay, we have LTP system and we know how to handle analytical queries which process uh, like mon month of data. So this is what real-time analytics to me, I, I, not, not like, like banks do. Some banks, so there, are, there are new banks which already don't have this approach and they follow good practices. Yeah, well, I mean, some of those sound like they're not even showing you the transactional data. Never mind the kind of aggregated data. But uh, for, for me, this for me this makes me think of, let's say you're looking at a software as a service dashboard, and you want to look at your like total of some number or some average of some number, but it includes up to t like today and up to this minute of information. So you you might be looking at page views on a website but it includes the last hour or the last few minutes and if somebody visits your website now they start showing up in that dashboard as well it's not there's yeah. not really a delay there's no delay and it also it doesn't go down view count unless some bots are involved and also if you open two tabs of the same page you have at least similar numbers right you know the joke, uh, how many, like uh, MongoDB reached 1 million downloads, or according to uh, one of our nodes, uh, 999 downloads, and according to the other one, 1 million two downloads. Right, you know this, right? In, in, I hadn't in, heard that joke before, no. Eventual consistency joke. So, yes, I agree, and this is a historically very difficult task for raw store as Postgres. And with MVCC implementation Postgres has with all uh, that, tuple, that tuple or tuple, I forgot, uh, processing uh, using vacuum process and uh, bloat uh, issues and uh, index amplification and so on. So uh, historically, Postgres is known for very slow select count star or select count one, doesn't matter in this case. But it was improved. Some aggregate uh, queries can benefit from index-only scans. Yeah. Some can benefit from loose index scans, but unfortunately Postgres doesn't have it automatic loose index scan. You need to program it using recursive CTE. So you need to tell Postgres how to skip uh, certain subtrees in B3. But many aggregate queries can be improved. So it's, it's possible to achieve with Postgres. Yeah, you bring up a good point about, I mean, all the design decisions that make Postgres so good at concurrently doing inserts, updates, deletes, the design decisions that make that really efficient make running queries on let's say one column across all customers if you're 
trying to sum those or average those or do some aggregation, it fun- is fundamentally difficult. Whereas a lot of these un- analytical systems are designed for the exact opposite. And they, and as such, we've got a hard, almost a hard trade-off here, right? Like I don't see, there's not an obvious way of having a, having the best of both worlds. It's possible with storage engines and there's ongoing work for many years already. And it looks like some, sometime soon we will have some, there's, there are projects. I always mix it Z store, Z heap. I don't remember attempts to have pluggable storage engine, which will provide column store. There was also a project from Cytos, uh, it was called C store, maybe like column store, but it was using FDW. So it's not like native storage, uh, like it's not like in my, in, in my SQL, when you say this table needs to use this uh, storage engine and, and that's it. But in general, uh, decision, strategic decision in Postgres project was made to have multiple storage engines, like to have API for that and so on. So in future, we can expect that it will be easy to define some table as column store storage based. Let's let's talk about differences. You, you raised a good question about when w- one works better than the other. If we have uh, OLTP, we usually need to extract uh, user data with all columns of that user, including like email, last name, and so on and so on. And of course, if these columns are stored in... in in ideally in the same data page, uh, Postgres has uh, usually like eight kilobyte data pages. It's it's just one buffer, read or hit. Speaking yep. of buffers, right, our favorite topic. But column store, like ClickHouse, they store uh, each column of table in separate file. In this case, you need to deal with many files and then uh, extract this data and then aggregate it uh, in memory to, to provide a row. But this is how OLTP queries dealing with single uh, row or if you have pagination like 25 rows ordered by some column, it becomes less efficient to, to extract the data. But, but for queries like let's calculate sum of some orders or some aggregates for month, you deal just with single file. And uh, if it's stored historically and you need just one month, you deal with fewer pages. It's it's all about I.O. as usual, right? And the amount of memory you need to allocate and, and work with. Yeah, and while we're, t- while we're talking about systems that allow for you to pick your trade-off per, on maybe on a per-table basis, we've also, I think, probably should mention that there are extensions attempting to do this kind of thing as well. And the most obvious one being time scale of doing some level of, it's not exactly column store, I don't think, but it bas- yeah, I think different. it works the same way. Uh, it's very clever, but the 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 other thing that they make it take advantage of, and a lot of the other analytical you, systems. You mean compression uh, in time scale for time series, which uh, understands the not like which uses the knowledge about what stores in column and then applies this to compress, right? Yeah, but that and that's exactly what I was going to say because data within a column is very likely to be similar across rows. Yeah. Um, it compresses extremely well. And it, another thing that can reduce IO for those analytical queries is, is yeah. that there's yeah. just less. I encourage everyone to read their articles, especially one uh, explaining the details about compression approaches uh, for time series and time scale. I read it from time to time and recommend, keep recommending it. It's, it's a brilliant article. And in general, work is brilliant for for these uh, types of data. Uh, yeah. b- but wanted to mention also Hydra, which is a very new 
project which is aiming to build analytical type of Postgres, like Postgres flavor. And they also work in, in this area. They took uh, Cytos, uh, this store uh, for Column Store, like via FDW and and improve and so on. And we had an episode uh, on Postgres TV interview with founders. It was one one month ago or so, uh, but it's still getting a lot of good feedback. They shared uh, feedback. They get get personal feedback. That that's great. I mean, it's interesting project, and I encourage also checking out this interview. So. Yeah, by default, I think all people should start from Postgres, right? And then we don't want to be like banks, right? We don't want to have ETL every night. It it doesn't scale well, this process. I mean, at some point it will take more and more hours and uh, you don't have so so much time. And like, it's, it's hard to manage this process. And also customers suffer because if they want up to date info, no, you need to wait until tomorrow to get this info. No, it's not good. And customers can be internal in this case because, for example, business owner might want to see some reports right now, but we would tell return tomorrow, no. <laughs> no. So we start with Postgres and we, then we have two options, basically. First is to take something for analytical, and this is our default option still. OTP Postgres DBAs usually recommend, and I usually do the same, don't use Postgres for analytics. This is mantra, actually. We, we use this mantra all the time because the problem is not only it's uh, less efficient for heavy queries with aggregates, it also uh, affects your health, uh, health of your Postgres. Because if you run it on the primary node, if you have very long query lasting half an hour, for example, and during that time, other queries deleted in any table, they deleted dead tuples, Autovacuum cannot delete these tuples until your long query finishes. Because you hold X-Min Horizon, right? So, yeah, we've talked about this a few times. And I think this is this, this is might be the one time I disagree with you because we're talking about real-time analytics here. I think if we're talking about things that update that are user-facing, people are going to have right. problems way before half an hour in terms of user experience. So I think we're talking more in the region of the customers I see doing uh, this kind of optimization work within Postgres it tends to be they're trying to get something to load within ideally, you know, a few hundred milliseconds or five, five seconds kind of or 10 seconds kind of upper limit of how long somebody will wait for a, a, maybe if they're changing some drop downs in a, in a UI and then they want to refresh their data. If we're talking about that being able to finish within a few seconds, I, I think that can still live within Postgres for a while. Maybe it doesn't scale forever. But it's smaller. Right. At smaller sizes, I definitely don't. You see are right. Anymore. You are right. But only until, until some point. If uh, yeah. you okay, so you you basically say real time analytics means that we have a requirement to uh, to have statement timeout fifteen seconds, for example, for all all user facing queries. That's that's great. I agree. But to achieve that, you probably will face challenges uh, when you have select count or select sum or anything uh, lasting too too long. And then you will implement some denormalization asynchronous via some uh, queuing mechanism through Kafka or something to pre-process some data, for example, on hourly basis. And those queries you won't limit, right? And those queries will hold your X-Min horizon. Back, how backend, how to say them, how to, how to name them, backend queries or something, not user-facing, some batch processing queries, something like that. And to keep everything in Postgres, right, you need to to have some pre-processing asynchronous in parallel queued 
and so on. And we've talked right. about, like, we should probably give a shout out to a previous episode we did on materialized views, which are one kind of pre-processing tool. Probably going to give them a couple more shout outs in this episode. So I was going to say timescale, actually, with their uh, oh, continuous aggregates. The continuous aggregates are kind of this pre-processing, right, where you have this continuous aggregation of new data coming in and then that yeah. getting filed away. So I think there are some ways of avoiding what you're talking about, but yeah, only up to a point. Continuous aggregates and timescale. And this is a part of their open source offering. So it's that's great. And I, yeah. I know cases where it works very good. I also need to, I, I made a joke today about like someone from Timescale offered me to register in Timescale Cloud. First of all, of course I am registered there. <laughs> and uh, I need to say that I, I said, no, uh, don't go there because uh, there is no bottom in Timescale Cloud. But it was a joke because uh, about their bottomless feature, we, we probably also discussed it. Of course, go and register on Timescale Cloud. It's it's great. A lot of very new approaches, uh, very interesting approaches. And I think uh, Timescale is one of the companies who which drive Postgres ecosystem forward using innovation. That's great. Right. So we, we, if we want to keep everything in Postgres, uh, we will have these type of challenges, long running queries. Sometimes we can avoid them. If we choose smaller batches, we, if we process this, if we implement this asynchronous process uh, more often, every yep. minute, for example. But it, also worth mentioning, it's hard to engineer it because Postgres doesn't have uh, what Oracle provides, uh, autonomous pragma, pragma autonomous, something like you, I want to detach my auxiliary transaction for background processing. For example, oh, cool. we inserted some data and we want to increment some count. We would like to do it asynchronously, not blocking the main insert, right, or main update. And to do that, you need to engineer it using some, some Kafka or some, I don't know, like uh, RabbitMQ cannot recommend RabbitMQ or Sidekick or something, some queuing. By the way, there is a new project someone released a couple of days ago, uh, which should is considered as a replacement for PGQ, uh, but it's another story. Queue in Postgres, we, we, want, we need to discuss it one day. But if you manage to engineer it, probably you can, can keep your transactions below some duration. But if you don't, you have a trouble and you cannot even offload some long running selects to to standby nodes because either you need to be a single user on that standby nodes because others other users will will notice long legs big legs when your your query lasts or you need to turn on hosted by feedback report to the primary and have all the issues with bloat again so what to do back to my idea yeah. that we have two options. One option is find a way to remain in Postgres using some optimization, some of this store, column store approaches, some, some innovation, or to use some regular approach, but with continuous ATL basically, which is called CDC, yeah. change data capture. So you take some something, you can take, for example, ClickHouse and use it as a secondary database right from your application, it's kind of, there will, might be problems with consistency because probably Postgres knows that you you made thousand or, uh, sales today, but uh, ClickHouse thinks uh, it's slightly less uh, or, or more. Uh, usually Postgres is considered as a primary source of truth being OTP system. And then we have a logical 
replication to Snowflake, Vertica, or, or ClickHouse, or anything else. There are ways to do it, but you need to deal with logical replication. This, this is challenging. It's possible, but it's challenging. I must admit it's improving. Over, uh, every year, Postgres receives uh, improvements in this area. And there are tools, uh, including commercial tools. Uh, open source is Debezium, but there are commercial tools. I cannot recommend Click. They, their implementation. We, yeah. Click is bad. Uh, uh, former uh, Attunity. Attunity, I think, right? It's just wrong implementation of Postgres plugin. But, uh, for example, um, Fivetran is quite good if you consider commercial systems. Uh, and we, we have a whole episode on this, right? We have right. a whole it's, it's on different, different story. And so the, the, our option is real-time analytics is to improve queries. Let's talk about the ways to improve. Well, and another thing I was going to mention that I think is important here is generally once we have performance issues or once we have a decent amount of data we're doing analytics, we probably are in the realm of needing or wanting to use partitioning of some description. Oh, partitioning is huge. <laughs> partitioning is a must-have if you, if you need to deal with big data volumes. Like rule of thumb is you need partitioning if you have for a table which exceeds for example, uh, 100 gigabytes. Yeah, which is a lot, but also not that much these days, right? It's right. And partitioning is needed in many, many, many aspects, uh, including data locality. So all data lives in particular pages, data blocks on disk, and they are all frozen, very rarely touched. So Tovacuum just skips them very quickly. Yeah. And also indexes for those old partitions are in like almost frozen shape, quite efficient, well, maybe rebuilt, yeah. not degrading. And they, these pages are barely present in our buffer pool and uh, operational system cache. Because if everything is mixed and each page has a couple of new tuples and a lot of old tuples, it bloats your shared buffer. This is one of the biggest reasons of partitioning, of, to have yeah. partitioning. I just recently revisited this topic uh, several times with a couple of customers. And uh, of also, like in Postgres 14, I think, yeah, in 14, re-index concurrently and index concurrently, they got optimization not to hold X-Min Horizon. It was so great. So you re-index. And even if you have a terabyte or five terabyte size table, uh, you don't, you can perform index maintenance because we all need uh, rebuild indexes from time to time, even if it's not Postgres in all LTP systems, they degrade and uh, their health degrades. So you hold, uh, you don't hold X-Min Horizon, so it doesn't matter if, if it takes hours, right? But in, uh, it, was, it had a bug and in 14.4, yeah. Uh, it was reverted. So it means if you have huge table, you need to rebuild index holding X-Min Horizon. It, it's the same problem as we just discussed with inability of Optovacuum to delete tuples which became dead recently. Right? So, yeah. so that's why you need to, to, to have partitioning and, and everything is, is improves, including index behavior and, uh, and so on. Yeah. Sorry, sorry I think for the long an... speech. Yeah, well, I think there's another good reason, and that's I think it encourages good practice around maintenance and around retention. I think a lot of people, before they have partitioning, don't even consider deleting old data or, or, or how long they should be holding certain data for. And, and a lot of the time it is partitioned on time, or at least one aspect of it as time. So I think it does encourage you to think about 
how many of these do we need to keep around and how easily can we get rid of them that kind of thing but yeah maybe not so analytics here uh, again the time scale pops up like they they yep. do very good job to achieve http for postgres for time series because again this bottomless i mentioned this is how exactly how they uh, implemented it and i like you i like it so for partitions with archive data you you can choose uh, s3 as storage right yeah and, smart. and and for hot partitions uh, it's on on uh, ebs volume in aws for, for example if it's aws and uh, for your application it's everything is kind of transparent so so you you don't notice of course uh, archive data is slower and everything is you can see it even if in explain and lies that yeah. uh, s3 was was uh, involved it's really that's cool yeah, yeah, i yeah. haven't seen that yeah it's a fresh feature i think bottomless uh, and but this works only in cloud unfortunately as i understand Okay, it so. yeah, makes sense. That's a good point that they automate the partitioning for you, or uh, once you choose certain things. But the other, the normal way of doing this, norm, like the place that's the the extension that seems to be most popular in, uh, is PG Partman, right? The uh, yeah. For I, I I I must confess, I never use it myself. Yeah, a lot neither. of folks around did it, but I I don't I didn't I but I implemented partitioning myself before partitioning became declarative. So I, I <laughs> like I have uh, some experience with partitioning and with declarative partitioning as well. Uh, but well, with partitioning, the general advice you need to, uh, to choose as fresh major version of Postgres as possible because uh, again, a lot of progress was made during the last five to seven years ability to detach partition uh, concurrently and so on in in not non-blocking way but, but i wanted also to mention that the same thing as timescale did you probably can do it yourself using fdw if you yeah. convert your old partitions to foreign tables using postgres fdw for example you can store them on remote server with slower disk and, and so on yeah you just reminded me actually of a whole different it's a different slant on that but did you read the post by duckdb they're an analytics database and they've done some incredible work i didn't fully understand it but you can now query postgres like you can have your data in postgres but query it through duckdb like kind of like an fdw but in reverse and get some ridiculous performance improvements on on the same queries but we like we when we use fdw i i'm afraid we will break our requirement we we won't meet our yeah. requirement to be below 15 seconds at some point at some data volumes I, i'm afraid my gut tells me you know but maybe i'm wrong uh, i i i actually don't follow all new stuff happening in postgres ecosystem it was so like at least five years ago uh, uh, definitely 10 or 15 years ago right now i'm feeling i cannot catch up with everything it's too much too many things well, are happening i highly recommend this post by duckdb i will i'll link to it as well but they uh, some people i really respect are singing their praises at the moment so i'm uh, looking forward to understanding that one a bit better and the, the other one i wanted to make sure we mentioned i don't feel like we should talk about postgres and real-time analytics without mentioning heap they do quite a lot of blog posts related to postgres and i think i could be wrong i could be a bit out of date here I think they're running Heap, which is an analytics product, pretty much exclusively, I think, on Postgres. Maybe, yeah. maybe with Citus, I think. I, I didn't see fresh articles from them, but like I think it was 
four or five years ago when I, I learned. And I remember they used ZFS with Arc2, with uh, data stored on uh, EBS volumes and with local disks and local NVMe. Like it was time when Nitro in AWS was not released, I think. And EBS volumes were much slower than local uh, NVMe disks, which are ephemeral. So if machine reboots, probably you, you lose data there. So what they did, as I remember, they did, of course, partitioning was involved, I'm quite sure. A lot of nodes, and I think also sharding was involved. Yeah. I, I, right. But uh, they stored data on EBS volumes, quite ch cheaper, and the uh, Arc2 cache in ZFS uh, uh, was, was on uh, local NVMEs, so it's like interesting system. But I, I never tried to implement it myself, this approach with ZFS. Despite of the fact that in, in my product, database lab engine, we use ZFS, but we use only regular ARC in memory, like alternative to operational system cache. Never played with ARC2. I, I cannot tell that this is, uh, works well, maybe. But it's an interesting idea. Yeah. Is there, um, I, I suspect we could talk about this for a, a, quite a while. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure we cover? Well, there's also, uh, uh, materialized views are a very important topic. And this is yeah. also not fully solved. So I think engineers should know what Postgres can do right, and provide out of, out of the box and what Postgres cannot do. In this area of real-time analytics, you should be ready for degradation and you should experiment with larger volumes, definitely. You should tune AutoVacuum to be quite aggressive to keep uh, visibility maps up to date. And this is a must-have thing. So your your benefit from index-only scans. For example, you loaded data, yeah. you vacuumed once, visibility map is fresh, and your select count or, or, or some select with some aggregate works quite fast because it, it doesn't consult to heap pages because uh, heap fetches is zero because visibility maps are very fresh but then a lot of updates are deletes are coming and it degrades and if auto vacuum is not aggressive enough by default it's not at all you will see heap fetches in plans growing and performance degrading so you need to tune auto vacuum but three things postgres doesn't have uh, one i mentioned this like asynchronously detached sessions with transactions which will help us denormalize data right second Partitioning is not fully automated in terms of uh, nobody will create partitions uh, for you automatically, right? Yeah. Or, or, or old, old, old one. You need to engineer additional pieces here. Of course, that's where, where uh, timescale shines again because it does this. Or use, or use PG Partman. Right. Or similar. So, yeah. Right, right, right. And third thing is uh, that, again, uh, materialized you can be refreshed only as a whole. It can be done concurrently, so ongoing queries are working, but it's, it, it can be refreshed as a whole. And it also can get bloat and so on and so on. There is no incremental, incrementally refreshed materialized use. This idea is one of the hugest ideas, biggest ideas Postgres uh, project has, and uh, there are projects around it. There is a wiki page that discusses how to implement yourself. It's possible, but it's some engineering effort is needed, definitely. 
but if you manage to have incrementally updated materialized views and asynchronously asynchronous workers which uh, denormalize your data and also implement automatic partitioning you can achieve real time analytics in postgres uh, at, at scale few terabytes and or dozens of terabytes at least also i forgot i wanted to mention one extension i think it was developed at cytos back in the days before microsoft as well called hyperloglog it helps oh, yeah. with count distinct right hyperloglog right it's like one of the options for providing a good estimate for it right Yes. Also, like I never use it myself in my projects, but I recommend it. Some folks used it. It doesn't solve all problems, but in some cases, it, it it's useful. Right. Yeah, there's an excellent post on the Citus blog that we actually link to within PG Mustard for when when we spot slow counts. They did a, a really good post listing a bunch of ways that you can speed up counts, whether that whether you need an exact number or where, when an estimate can be uh, good enough. Yeah, I remember good old trick with estimates. If your auto vacuum is tuned aggressively, so auto, like it has a uh, analyze part to maintain yeah. uh, row, st row statistics, and if uh, uh, so, you know, implement some function. If you provide some query instead of returning data, it returns a row estimate from it, extracts yeah. it, and says, "Okay, row estimate roughly is this." But you you need to. Be friends with your statistics and auto vacuum to rely on this information. Sometimes it's very off, depending on yeah. on uh, filters and so on. But okay, I think despite a lot of name dropping we did, right? We provided some principles as well, what to expect, and uh, I think uh, definitely it's achievable at the scale of like terabytes or dozens of terabytes and even thousands or maybe dozens of thousands of transactions. It's possible to handle. But it's still not as good as uh, performance of of column store for aggregates, yeah. and unless you use one of the projects we mentioned. Yeah, exactly. There is a limit, and if you're if you're building an analytics product where people need analytics as their main thing, there's a good chance that you won't want to use Postgres for that data, right? Right. Right. But yeah, yeah. awesome. Thank you so much, Nikolai. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for the suggestion as well. Keep those coming. And see no, you no, next no. Week. We, we have enough, actually. Oh, yeah. We have, yeah, we have a lot. Let's pause a little bit. We need to process what we have. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. We'll take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you.